Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 6th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Whose heart didn't sink when the Taoiseach took to the steps of government buildings again on Friday to announce another set of restrictions? I understand fully the frustration, the disappointment that people have that we all experience with this pandemic. It's going on for a long time now. I think it's true to say everybody wishes we could forget about uh, the virus, but... We simply cannot uh, wish the virus away either. It's that's not within our power to wish the virus away. It's with us. It's changing its form. It's changing its approach and different variants arrive. So why now when most people are vaccinated? What has the vaccination programme done for us? It has saved thousands and thousands of lives vaccinations have worked. That's a message Micheál Martin knows is falling on some deaf ears. We have to reinforce the message that vaccination has worked, um, although we're not in a position to be fully free of all restrictions. Still, though, there is a sense of deja vu, isn't there? Last year we weren't vaccinated. Uh, going into Christmas this year, large sections of the population are. There's been a waning effect on the first and second dose. The booster now has, has been rolled out, and that will give protection, but we have to wait for another Uh, two to three weeks in terms of getting a comprehensive picture in terms of Omicron and and vaccine escape. Still in all, we had been promised uh, that nothing would reopen if it had to close again, but here we are again. Sectors reopened and now they're closing again or facing fresh restrictions. The vast bulk of society is open and remains open, but it is very challenging and unfortunately for nightclubs uh, in particular, um, the recommendation today is that they, that they have to close after such a short time having um, reopened. The new variants have changed everything. The delta is still very high uh, and the Omicron uh, has come onto the stage, so to speak. It's, it's here. And while there is not much known yet about Omicron, it gives government much to consider. I think fundamentally for me, protecting people's lives and pe- protecting people's public health is, is the number one consideration. And while vaccines are saving lives, people choosing not to get vaccinated are causing problems for everyone. Look at Europe. Some countries have low vaccination uptakes in Europe. And as a result, have gone into lockdown in Austria, for example because of that fact that the large sections of the unvaccinated um, end up in hospital. We have this experience here. I think 48% of the unvaccinated are in hospital um, and about 50% uh, are in ICU and about 2% partially vaccinated uh, in hospital. So that, that's where we, 
we are, which illustrates the disproportionate impact that, that the uh, unvaccinated population is having on our health services. The Taoiseach, Michal Martin. Let's speak to local Fianna Fáil TD in Meath East, Thomas Byrne, who's the Minister for European Affairs. Good morning to you, Minister. Thank you for joining us on the programme. Uh, the Taoiseach uh, was speaking about people not getting vaccinated yesterday as well. And Michal Martin said it was clear as daylight that if people do not get vaccinated, they are jeopardising their personal health and the health of others. What do you think he meant by that? Oh, I think he, what he meant was that what we have seen, I think, very, very clearly in Ireland are the benefits of vaccination. Yes, there has undoubtedly been a waning effect. Uh, but we do have, because of our very high vaccination rates, uh, we have relatively low hospitalisation, ICU and death rates. We're one of the lowest rate of deaths in the entire European Union at the moment. And that can be entirely put down to uh, the acceptance by the vast majority, almost 100% of the public, uh, the acceptance by them of, of vaccination. If the rest of the population who could be vaccinated were vaccinated, they would be doing themselves in the first instance a very great favour. Uh, and I'm a very strong advocate of vaccines. Uh, they've worked for so many diseases and it looks like they've had an extremely positive effect on COVID. So if you're not, if you haven't been vaccinated, uh, you definitely should think about it. The HSC on, on their websites, etc., have the, the opening hours of various centres in this locality, uh, and they're still giving out vaccines. So it's it's never too late, um, and I strongly encourage people to do that. In the first instance, you are protecting yourselves. If you're not vaccinated, you are much more likely uh, to end up uh, in ICU, and that's that's a sad reality but it is a reality. That's in the first instance, as you say. The Taoiseach said, though, that they are also jeopardising the health of others. Uh, what does he mean by that, do you think? Well, I think, again, in the first instance, if you're more likely to go into the ICU unit, um, and, and like, it's nobody's fault if you end up in ICU, we only wish people in ICU the very best, Michael. Mm. Um, but if you're unvaccinated, you are more likely to go there, and that then puts more pressure on the health service, and that then has a, a generalised effect on the health service. So, so we've had a very good uptake, We've seen in countries like Austria, where the uptake has been substantially lower, that they've had to bring in a full lockdown uh, at this particular time. Uh, you can't go to shops. You, you can only go for your, your, your short walk or whatever like we would have had. We haven't had to do that because uh, the public have gone along with the, the public health advice in this country, which is very, very clear in vaccination. And we have, we've really taken them up in a way that other countries are asking us, uh, what have we done right uh, in terms of vaccination? Uh, it's clear that people who are not vaccinated are more likely to get COVID. They're more likely to end up in hospital. They're more likely to experience severe illness, uh, more likely to need critical care in ICU. And there's greater probability of death for that matter. So that's something for people to contemplate. Uh, but uh, when the Taoiseach uh, spoke about jeopardising other people's health, did he mean that it's because they uh, will transmit the disease uh, more than other people will, and I think there's mixed opinions on that, or is it uh, that uh, or the fact that they're giving the uh, virus more opportunity to transmit, generally speaking, so it remains in the community and, and gets harder for us to eradicate? Well, I think it's the latter, that it's, it generally helps the virus stay in the community, um, but also I think it's the pressure on the hospital system as well, because the pressure on the hospital system is what's driven a lockdown in Austria, um, it's what's driven lockdowns in other countries. Um, it's the fear that we, we haven't had to, to airlift, airlift people out of our hospitals to other countries like a lot of Western European countries have had to do. But the more pressure that's on our hospital system, then it has negative health effects 
on the rest of the population. If, if I need an ICU mm. bed because I have a heart attack or a stroke or whatever, uh, that obviously puts pressure on everybody else. So what we're saying is in terms of COVID, you have a great chance of staying out of ICU if you're vaccinated, an excellent chance. Um, and there are people very old with underlying conditions, mm. even if they're vaccinated, may end up in ICU and they obviously need care. But, but if you have denied yourself the opportunity of getting the vaccine, then there's no doubt you are putting extra pressure on the health service. And, look, I, I, and I, I've had this message from nurses, by the way, who work in ICU. They've contacted me because I put up a lot of pro-vaccination messages on Facebook. I try to do it as gently and as informative as I can because I don't mm. believe the criticism works uh, on this particular one. And anything to do with COVID, I've never gone for, for condemnation. Um, but I think if we can encourage people, we do help nurses. And what nurses are telling me is uh, they're seeing better outcomes, they're seeing shorter stays, even in ICU. Uh, when they see when, when when people are vaccinated, but unfortunately, people who are unvaccinated, the statistics show it, do not have the same chance. Uh, so, do you think uh, that uh, the decision that people are taking not to get vaccinated is uh, having further qu- consequences? If what you say is true, it's putting all of this pressure on the health service. It's filling up the hospitals, filling up the ICU beds, and leading to planned procedures being cancelled. Uh, so that means uh, that somebody who needs a very serious operation will have to wait longer than they would have if the hospitals weren't dealing with all of this pressure. That could mean, for example, that a cancer patient has to wait to have a tumour removed or a heart patient has to move, wait uh, for a bypass. And there's uh, the potential then, I, I take it, for their condition to deteriorate or, or even for them to lose their lives uh, as a, a result of this position that people are taking not to get vaccinated well what i'd say is first of all let's let's be clear where we stand we're, we're actually in a, in a very good position and we can really see the impact of boosters so we see the the rates of infection in the very older population who got the boosters coming down and um, we see our icu numbers coming down as well we're now we're one of the lowest in the eu in terms of icu uptake so first of all can i say is the people of ireland have done a great job on this um despite all of the noise people have accepted public health messaging um, got the vaccine, more, more than 93% of the people have done that. Uh, but yes, if we had an even higher rate of the, of, the, of the vaccine uptake, we would have certainly less people in ICU. And that, as you say, all through the pandemic, this has put pressure on the rest of the health service because obviously ICU beds, hospital beds are taken up necessarily uh, by people who've got COVID and oxygen or whatever, and we need to mm. keep those people alive. But it has, and this is across the world, uh, put pressure on the rest of the health service um, and I think that that's, that's really what we, we've all through this pandemic uh, been trying to avoid. And we have bought uh, extra bed capacity from the private sector uh, if that's needed uh, for the next few weeks. But, you know, Omicron aside, and we're still trying to work out what is happening with that, the booster campaign has had a very significant impact already in terms of the Delta wave mm. and how people are ending up in hospital and ICU. OK, people are very well informed about issues relating to COVID. And I wonder if all of that is feeding into the public opinion on stricter restrictions on those who are not vaccinated. A Kantar opinion poll for the Sunday Independent yesterday says 56% of people surveyed say those who have not taken a vaccine should face travel restrictions and workplace bans. It increases to 63% who believe that should be the case uh, if the people you're asking have been fully vaccinated. And it increases to almost 70%. 69% of older people feel there should be travel restrictions and workplace bans on people who are not vaccinated. Will the government follow public opinion? Well, what I'd say is, first of all, you already have some restrictions in terms of travel. If, if there are some countries now who won't let you in without a vaccine, 
um, and, and a test as well. So, so you already are restricting mm. yourselves. But what I'd say is that one of the reasons we have done so well in, in vaccination, really far better than we even thought was possible, is because of the sort of persuasive approach, the scientific approach, um, the, the gentle non-condemnatory approach. So I, I think that approach still has huge potential to work by trying to give people the facts. Mm. The facts are becoming really, really clear now on the booster. I mean, you'd be blind now if you if you didn't weren't able to see the graphs were showing the the mm. old age population going the, the numbers going down. So mm. so I'm very I'm skeptical about enforcement against the unvaccinated population because the behavioural science that our experts have been guided by and the public have been guided by doesn't suggest that that's a good way. Look, at some point in the future, mm. uh, that's possible, but we have never done that in Well, we've COVID certs for bars and restaurants and hospitality yeah. uh, and so on. They, they were extended, of course, uh, to gyms and leisure centres. I think people were expecting that it would have gone further. There was some talk that people uh, who didn't have a COVID cert may have been denied access to everything bar uh, essential services. Uh, and um, there could be an argument for this in that 80% of people intend to cut back socialising over Christmas and 20% uh, then are in different categories but 15% intend to carry on socialising as normal over the Christmas period and there's a, a real uh, blip in that when you look at the number of unvaccinated people it rises to 36% of the people who are not fully vaccinated are going to go about their business as if there's no Covid. Yeah, well, if they're not vaccinated, they will have to stay outside of, of pubs. But yeah. if you're vaccinated, I mean, for, but for all the But should they have to stay out of, outside of libraries and uh, retail shops and um, hairdressers and so on? Well, uh, look, we, we're not going to we're not going to um, we're not going to um, keep people out of retail. I mean, that's not going to happen. But people doesn't need it, to get does, buy doesn't it put, doesn't it put but, the vast majority is, of the population in a really difficult situation? It, it, it is, and that's why I'm strongly encouraging people to look at the science behind vaccination to show that it's working and therefore they should get vaccinated to protect themselves and the rest of us. Um, but what I would say is that the, the, despite all of the talk of restrictions, and the government did bring in restrictions last week, you could still, if you're so inclined, you could still go to the pub with a vaccination cert and sit there all day till closing time. You mm. can't go to a nightclub now because we've restricted that. Mm. Um, so, so while we talk about restrictions, they're actually we're not as strict as many other countries are at the moment, mm. precisely because of a vaccination uptake. But you know, Minister, you know, Minister, the way people are behaving, uh, those who are not vaccinated, and they're claiming there is no COVID, and they're going along, uh, and it would seem reckless uh, to people. Uh, who are listening to the science, who are listening to the public health messages, they won't wear masks. They scoff at you. And if uh, challenged, they might say something like, I'm exempt and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Well, look, what we do know is that the the proportion of people who scoff at COVID is very, very small. Unfortunately, they're extremely active on Facebook and Twitter. And that's why I would always encourage people to get whatever advice they're getting on COVID from official government sources. And there's lots of them whether it's our public health advisors, whether it's our, our government ministers making announcements. I mean, that's all based yeah. on science coming from the WHO. Um, and while it varies from country to country in terms of in, in, at the margins, the public health advice generally is the same. And primarily it is uh, to get vaccinated, keep your distance, et cetera, et cetera, uh, protect yourself um, and, you know, reduce social contacts. And e e even by saying that, I think our opportunities for safe socialization over Christmas uh, are still there. Um, but I think that the public themselves have decided they just want to be a little bit more cautious. Mm. And, I think we're, and that's what the government's doing as well. Because of Delta, 
but also because of, of this Omicron uh, variant, which, quite frankly, we don't really know enough about. I, I better ask you which signs we should trust in, Minister, before somebody uh, contacts us uh, to ask me to ask you that, uh, because uh, I think uh, the government is looking for NEFIT's modelling to be peer-reviewed. Uh, and then there's also uh, this row that seems to be taking place that's widely reported on uh, with uh, members of NEFIT now told uh, not to appear in the media without permission from the government? Well, I'd say two points about all of that. Okay, first of all, I'd be very slow, very slow, and I think I've been consistent on this throughout the pandemic, to criticise Neffet. Uh, even last summer when there was shock about the, the vaccine passes, I think I was on your show and I said, no, let's let's see, let's be calm, even though there was huge uproar about that for like a day or two. Um, Neffet have actually guided us really well throughout the pandemic. Um, the advice that we've given, yes, it can be complicated. Yes, it can appear, oh, why did they pick that and not that? But where has it led us to? It has led us to the highest vaccination rates in the world. It has led us to comparatively low hospitalization, um, comparatively low uh, ICU, although we want that to be lower. It's given us a really good reputation for, as a people, accepting science. And that's really good for everything, actually. It's good for jobs, actually, that companies are saying, well, they're, 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 they're interested in science, uh, the Irish people. So I'd say that first. So I'm very slow to have an argument with them. I'd say on the modelling predictions, that's been inexact all around the world. And, you know, at the moment, there's no modelling on Omicron. They're just saying, look, let's be cautious. Let's, this could be very bad. And, and they've done, I think they have done a kind of a model. But the reality is they would say themselves, uh, they don't really know. And let's wait and see in the next days and couple of weeks to see what the situation is. I'm hopeful it mightn't be as bad, but, but we don't know. Now, on, on, on speaking in public, Michael, I, I would say this. I think people like Tony Holohan and Kilian Gascoon and Ronald Lynn, I think have been very effective public messengers uh, over the last year and a half. So I think there's no intention on the part of the government to keep them out of public debate. What I think there is, is, Michael, is they, well, certainly I know that Ronald Lynn, certainly, and Tony Holohan are public servants. And certainly there is certainly an absolute rule in, in the public sector. And I haven't seen Tony Holohan or Ronald Lynn breach this ever. But there is a rule, and civil servants will comply with this always, that they don't get involved in policy discussion. Um, and, you know, that they advise the government and then the government makes the decisions on policy. And then, of course, civil servants can come on your show or whatever and, mm. and talk about the policy and the implementation of that and the science behind it, et cetera, et cetera. And I, from what I can see, and I obviously wasn't involved in those cabinet discussions, uh, there is a fear maybe um, be, because signals were sent to the media as to what was what was being planned uh, that maybe there was a straying into territory. Now, I, I haven't seen evidence of that, and I personally am very slow and have been at every juncture uh, to criticise Neffet because the structures that we have in place, complex as they are, at times it seems unsatisfactory as they are, have led us to a better place in this pandemic, together with the public acceptance of the advice and, and going along with it, than, than many other countries. And I think that we have to be very, very careful uh, that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and all this particular discussion. Minister, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. That's uh, Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil TD for Meeks Deed and the Minister for European Affairs. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, I've been asked to read an amendment uh, to the bereavement notice that you heard earlier for Theresa Tess Connolly Nee Rennix uh, of Navin. 
Uh, Teresa died in the Heatherfield nursing home. Uh, but there is an amendment, as I say, to the bereavement notice. The funeral mass will be in St. Mary's Church in Navan this morning at 10 o'clock and it can be viewed on navanparish.ie. That's uh, the funeral mass for Teresa Tess Connolly, knee Reddicks, will be in St. Mary's Church in Navan at 10 o'clock and can be watched on navanparish.ie. And, of course, condolences uh, to family and friends. Uh, The 50% capacity rule applies to indoor events. Uh, It doesn't apply uh, to restaurants and pubs and hospitality settings. Uh, The restriction there is that no more than six can be at a table, 15 including children, and the table should be um, a metre or more apart. Uh, The 12 o'clock closing time remains in place, and there is no limit as to how long uh, you can spend uh, at a table. This is uh, the Tarnished Deli of Radker. I know many of you will be reading tonight. It's certainly not the Christmas that you expected. And I know for a lot of people in these sectors, Christmas is the harvest time. It's a time when money is made uh, that helps you get through the lean period of the year, January, February uh, and March. And I want you to know that nobody thinks that you're in any way to blame uh, for this pandemic or this virus. And we are asking those sectors once again to take one for the team. That's uh, Leo Bradker. As I say, Mark McGowan of Scholars Town House Hotel in Drogheda is uh, the president of uh, the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Mark. Uh, how do you feel about having to take one for the team? Morning to you, Michael. How are you? Um, look, we, we don't know a whole lot about this Omicron virus yet, so um, that's why the messaging has been, been put out there. Now, to say I'm, I'm, I'm not happy at all about how that messaging has come across, I think that it was very much directed at our industry in particular, um, hospitality. So, um, like, I mean, they mentioned don't go to Christmas parties. Yeah, they didn't mention don't go to gyms or don't go uh, shopping, etc. So that was a bit of an issue for us. But I know where we're at. Um, we don't want to be in the same position that we were in last year. So uh, we obviously have to take precautions. So with that in mind, we obviously need support to stay afloat. Right. Will there be a harvest, as Leo Bradker put it? Um, well, look, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think we are. We are um, like that, that messaging of we're in this together and take one for the team. I think we're all over that. We're three years into this pandemic, nearly. You know, so um, hospitality businesses are really finding this tough. They're finding it hard to fathom that they're in the same position that they were in last year, nearly heading into into December. So once that messaging came out, the level of cancellation is like nothing I've ever seen before, Michael. Mm. So, I mean, we've had over 2,000 cancellations in scholars, like, you know. So now we are picking up smaller uh, pockets, smaller groups, but your Christmas party is essentially, once that message came out, it was basically closing us down without closing us down. So um, it, it had a huge impact and it obviously has an impact on staff, etc. as well. Okay, and the sector will be meeting with uh, government uh, this morning and uh, I take it the focus from your perspective at least will be on those supports that you mentioned a moment ago. Yes, Michael. So uh, last week I had two parliamentary party meetings with, uh, with both parties and we just really hashed out exactly where the industry was at and, and the impact that this messaging was going to have so um, beforehand if you remember we were at say level 3 that activated a a targeted set of supports such as the COVID restriction support scheme and the EWSS the EWSS is the wage subsidy for your listeners and um, that was to taper off on the 1st of December 
We've got an extension on that, which we're really thrilled with for any businesses that require it. And that will carry them through into the first quarter, at least in um, in, of 2022. Mm. The COVID restriction support scheme is another mechanism that if a business was down 75%, well, then they could activate um, this support and uh, not go too much into the details. It it actually gets quite confused in terms of percentages of that. But where it's at at the minute is that if a business is down 50% in uh, since. 2019, well then they'd be able to access this support and the access, and the support would be 12% of turnover basically. But it's very inaccessible for businesses. There's very few businesses that will be able to access this support. So mm. just to give you an idea, if they were to turn, if, if any businesses to turn 45,000 in, in, in the week of Christmas time, they'd get 1,200 euros back. Now there's not many pubs or restaurants that will turn 50,000 euros. So it, it makes it quite inaccessible. So what we're hoping for now is that yeah. they'll relook at the mechanism and make it on a sliding scale basis that it's more accessible because I think 50% nearly encourages businesses that are down 30% to okay. try and go for 50%. Let's hear a little bit more from uh, the Thomasia on exactly this. Which is the uh, COVID response support scheme that's going to be reformed. Uh, up until now, that scheme uh, was only for businesses that were closed or were down 75% or more in terms of turnover. That's now going to be changed into a weekly payment that will be paid to businesses that are restricted in some way uh, by a government regulation. So that'll include restaurants, pubs, theatres, cinemas, uh, nightclubs, for example, uh, and other businesses too. So if you're restricted in any way by a government regulation, um, you can apply uh, for the CRSS. It'll be a weekly payment. Um, terms and conditions will apply. Uh, but it will be a weekly payment uh, and uh, there'll be a double payment in the first week. And crucially, that will help businesses with the running costs. So a restaurant, for example, that opens throughout the Christmas period um, that might find that half its tables are empty or even uh, a third or 10% of its tables are empty uh, can still qualify for this payment, uh, getting it as though they were closed, even though they are not. And we hope that will help in some way uh, to get through this difficult period. A third or 10% of the tables empty and you'll still qualify. Is that what you were hoping to hear? Well, that's, you know, that seems to me as if it's a little bit inaccurate, like looking at the, the way that criteria for mm. eligible businesses is there. So that, there's a meeting this morning to just okay. clarify this. So at the moment, it's 50%. Yep. So you'd have to show a 50% deficit. And there, there isn't a business... In, in Ireland, I'd say that would show 50% over December. Like, even when we were at level three, we weren't showing 50%. Takeaway was, when we were at takeaway level, that's when we were down that low, you know what I mean? But yeah. we're, we're essentially kind of open, but restricted. So we can't, we can't like, businesses are finding it hard to pay the bills, but they're not at 50%, if you know what I mean. Okay, well, that was Leo Radker speaking on Friday, so maybe you'll remind him of uh, what he said uh, when you're speaking to him later in the day, and perhaps uh, he was uh, giving some insight into what to expect, and that's what you're hoping to hear later. Uh, Mark, we leave it there for the moment, but thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Thank Thank you you very much indeed. Mark McGowan of Scholars Townhouse Hotel in Drogheda. He's the president of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's hear from local publicans uh, Wayne Harding and Colette Nugent. Wayne Harding, uh, the owner of uh, the Village Pub in Slane. Good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. How do you feel about having to take one for the team, as uh, the Thornish to put it? Just one, we've taken many. Um, 
Uh, it's it's been it's been incredibly tough, and the messaging um, we, you have to be very disappointed by it. Um, I I can understand, um, and and from the outset, and and I think our industry, um, and you were talking to Mark earlier, our industry spokespeople have have said that the support from government throughout this uh, pandemic have been good, and and I would agree with that. Um, but the messaging over the last few weeks, and I know there's been a lot of um, talk in the media over the weekend about Netflix and the government and, and where the messaging is. But certainly, and Mark alluded to it, um, what, what came out two weeks ago from the publicans I talked to, um, restricting your, your, your social movements, that has been... That, made a dramatic effect on, on footfall of Pe- that people stopped go- Pe- very sorry, people stopped very people stopped coming into your pub Wayne obviously sorry people stopped coming into your pub people, yeah yeah to a, to a great degree yeah mm. from from previous uh, we opened on the 22nd of October again that was we 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 watched um how how everything was happening my my parents it's a family run pub my parents are in their 80s um, we were and and quite active within the pub and have been for many many years, and we were very myself, my sister, very aware of of, of um, COVID and and it, it affects on, on on an age group uh, both in the early 80s, and when we were opening to go indoors, it was announced at that time that um, all restrictions would be lifted on the 22nd of October, um, so we had a discussion and said then we'll wait. And, and this thing will be over a lot of this. Now we now know that that's not the case. And of course, uh, nobody could have predicted what happened. But we waited till the 22nd and opened with the same restrictions that people had opened with uh, six weeks earlier. And now on Friday, we've gone back to the, the 22nd of October. seems to be a fairly pivotal date. So that messaging was very difficult. And, and it's very hard. And when you see the front page of a newspaper the weekend where a professor is saying uh, close the pubs to keep the schools open like he's he's talking about families he's talking about jobs and he's talking about people's lives who have taken more than one um, to make sure that that the, that the health uh, health system uh, stays stays operational and and that's what we've done for two years now heading towards two years Okay, thanks, Wayne. Uh, Colette Nugent is uh, joining us from uh, the Market Bar in uh, Drogheda. She's also the chairperson of Loud's branch of the VFI. Good morning to you, Colette, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. How do you feel about it all? Morning, Michael. Um, just fed up with it all now at this stage. You know, I, I reiterate what the lads are saying there, and we are thankful for the support. But, you know, not to be permouth and, you know, on the, the road show again. They're, they're woefully inadequate to support. I mean, you know, this CRSS that they're saying and the EWSS, while they've sort of reinstated it slightly or they're going to extend it again for a, the wage support scheme, it's it's still not going to be enough for some smaller uh, premises out there. The CRSS is, is not, you know, I just, to clarify, mm. the CRSS, they've changed the goalposts. And what they're saying now is, is that you have to be at less than fifty percent on an, on your December week in 2019, on an average week uh, on an average week in 2019, and a week in December now. Well, you know, Stevie Wonder and a Fog can see that that's a complete I- inadequate scale to even work from. I mean, there's going to be 
the difference of some pubs staying solvent and open. Okay, now, well, hopefully you'll get good news uh, on that. We heard Leo Radker there a short while ago saying that yeah, could be brought down know, to 30 or 10%. Be this morning, Michael, and yeah. that's not what's coming back to them. You know, okay. here's, the, here's the thing I just really want to quickly say. You know, we lose our staff now to the Irish hospitality sector. We're never going to get them back. And if ever a death knell bell was ringing for the Irish hospitality, it's ringing loud and shrill now. And I don't know how to impress that on people. And we don't have enough information on this, on this variant. And it was just for me, in my opinion, and talking to a few of the local boys, it was just too much of a knee-jerk reaction to wipe out all of us. And we're vilified yet again. There's no mention of retail or any other sector not to vilify them or to point fingers. But the Irish pub is like shooting fish in a barrel straight away. Let's, let's nail them. Okay, Colette, thank you indeed. Colette Nugent of the Market Bar in Drogheda and chairperson of the Louth branch of the Vintners Federation. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, thanks uh, to Grania in Drata who asks if we're having uh, these latest restrictions because of our hospitals not being able to cope. And if that's the case, then why hasn't uh, the government done more to improve uh, the situation in hospitals so that they can cope with increasing numbers in ICU? I think uh, it's probably true to say that the hospitals are, are worried that they can't cope with the number of people who need ICU care. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should give them the capacity to treat so many people who are that sick. Far better for people not to get sick, I think, is the approach that's been taken, Grania. Although there is undoubtedly valid concern about investment in health services and so on. Liz is astonished, she says. Uh, she's been on the phone to us and she says she's astonished that, given the current climate, some pubs are still not checking IDs as well as COVID search. She had an experience of this over the weekend and and she was very surprised by it. She says pubs should be doing everything they possibly can if they want to stay open. And that should mean checking the IDs as well as the certs themselves. Thanks uh, for that, uh, Liz. Uh, at least the pubs are open uh, despite uh, what we've been hearing. Uh, but uh, we are definitely taking a step backwards uh, and it'll have a, an impact on all of us. Paddy Ballone, PRO for Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce is on at the line. And a very good morning to you, Paddy, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, I'm sure like everybody else, you were desperately disappointed at the sight of Micheál Martin on the steps of government buildings on Friday night. Indeed. It's not something that we wanted to hear a couple of weeks before Christmas. Uh, and my heart goes out to the hospitality sector in particular. I mean, they have been just crucified. Um, and, you know, you're just... Uh, I, I, I would lose the will to live, I think, if I was working in that industry at the moment and listening to night, nightclub owners and others, and, and I know clients of my own who run pubs, you know, I mean, it's just destroy, it's just soul-destroying for them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the, the, the young people who should be out and about and enjoying themselves, like, you know, the idea that a 19-year-old has never had a drink officially, um, it's a bit weird, to put it mildly. It's not, it's not, what, we're, it's not what we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, uh, I can understand the government's reaction coming up to Christmas. They, they remember last year where we thought we were out from the worst, and in fact, January's death toll proved that we should have moved. We should have been more cautious in December. Yeah. I can get that. What I don't get is that policy, that plan should have been in place. That if there was another Omicron, if something, if there was another Delta, uh, uh, you know, God knows what it was, arrived shortly before Christmas, what were we going to do about it? So that it was planned out 
a month ago or two months ago. I mean, for the minister to announce that, okay, we're going to re- we're going to reopen the pub and we're going to do this, and the details will be released later in the week. No, they should have been released on the day. I, 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 as, a, as an employer, as an employer myself, and also as a, a businessman, I understand the need for certainty. So I've got clients ringing me this morning saying, "Paddy, where are we with the pub? You know, who qualifies, who doesn't? Mm. That sort of stuff." That should have been ironed out before this was done, and it, there was no reason why it couldn't have been done. Yeah, well, it's all going to impact on all of us uh, financially, uh, and it'll all go around in circles and come back and bite all of us uh, because uh, there's going to be less money circulating. I, I think uh, shops are probably seeing that now because people are a bit concerned about going out, about socialising, about uh, being in crowded areas and uh, maybe looking at other ways of buying Christmas presents or whatever it is that they're shopping for. Uh, Pubs are are seeing a complete drop-off in footfall. People aren't going to the pub. Uh, They're too concerned. Uh, There's exceptions, obviously, but uh, you're seeing a big drop in business. Uh, We're looking at live events uh, that may cancel the events uh, because it's just not viable for them to run at this 50% limit and so on. Uh, and if you've got so many people uh, who are doing so much less business or who are doing no business, nightclubs closing, for example, and people out of work, uh, well, then there's less money to go around. Uh, and it's uh, something that uh, is going to hit all of our pockets. Yeah. And this goes back to what I was saying there beforehand. You know, the fact that there will be new schemes coming in in the next week or two. That's almost too late for Christmas, if you follow me. Mm. People needed to know on Friday, this is what's going to happen, and these are the rules. So that it was a clear understanding of what the situation was. Because if there's one thing we don't like, don't like, it's uncertainty. So, yeah, I mean, look, there's less business. I mean, if I was in the hospitality sector and I was working as a, as a bar manager or as a barman or whatever else, I would be very worried about going out and spending money on Christmas presents for anybody. Yeah. Um, so you've got to take that into account. All I can say is I would ask people to be rational, um, do as much shopping locally as they can within the guidelines the government have laid down. I think we have to follow the guidelines. Mm. Um, I think Should they have gone further? Should they have gone further? Should they have bit the bullet and said, look, let's go all out here uh, and take the pain now rather than spreading that pain out over a very long period think, of time I and it could even be a bigger hit? enough to say that, I think they would have had no choice but to do it. Uh, so that's not the message mm. that's coming from Neffet. So I, can, I wouldn't expect the government to go beyond where Neffet was going. I would think that Neffet would be sort of like saying this is the ideal and get as close to it as you can and I think there's there's political considerations mm. when you get to that point well, I, I'm not sure that they went as far as Neffet would have liked it in terms of I, I know, I'm not saying that they did yeah, but, but in, in terms Neffet of didn't call for a complete knockdown either no you know? but in terms of the Covid certs uh, for example they've extended them now to gyms and leisure centres uh, and we had that poll in the Sunday Independent yesterday saying uh, there should be travel restrictions and uh, I don't know maybe back to the five kilometre if you haven't got a, a Covid Uh, you shouldn't be allowed to go to work a workplace ban Uh, and uh, there are places uh, as we know that have uh, barred access to everything bar essential services yeah look uh, the problem we have is that we have an open democracy and we have rules and regulations and the government can only do so much some of that's I think that should be done and if I was a business owner dealing with the public Mm. that's what I would do I mean my own office 
I mean, I'm only meeting people by appointment and I'm only meeting people under certain certain conditions and I'm very careful for my staff and my, for myself. Mm. And I think everyone has to do that. But I think if you start introducing blanket bans, you're going to have somebody challenging it and we're better off trying... The Irish will work better when they're cajoled and encouraged rather than being told what to do. I think we, we all know that from historical point, points of view. We almost get pleasure in defying the law. So, look, I think it's, it's, applying, it's appealing for common sense it's asking you to look after your neighbour. It's, it's, and, and that's what the message has got to be. Look, look after yourself. Look after your neighbour. Okay, you might be young and fit. Mm. Congratulations on your lucky. But don't inflict any pain on anybody else, either directly or indirectly. Um, and I would, which is almost counterproductive in some ways, still say shop as much as you can locally. Plan it. I mean, for example, get out early in the morning when there isn't crowds and yeah. do, do, do your shopping. Um, Pace it, uh, you know. Um, most shops now, thanks to the Leo office in 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 in, in Louth, um, there was a huge uptake on the shop uh, on, on on the online vouchers. So those that information is available. So you don't necessarily have to browse the shops, although it's part of Christmas. I get that, but you can still look at your favourite shops, whether it's in Drogheda or RD or Dundalk. You can look at it online because of the Louth grants, the Leo grants that were there last year. Yeah. And you can do your shopping online. You, you, sh- online doesn't necessarily mean Shanghai or Hong Kong. It can also mean um, the Long Walk or the Marshall Shopping Centre or Air Street or anywhere else, you know, so, yeah. or West Street. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to businesses. Uh, I'm appealing to individuals. If you feel unsafe, shop online. But that does not mean you have to go outside the county. Okay. We leave it there for the moment. Thank you, as always. Paddy Malone, Piero of Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Now, uh, an email comes to me from Eugene McGuire. He says, Michael, are these people representing hospitality for real? They want all of the supports that they can get off the government, but these are the same people that wanted all of the supports for people who lost their jobs, who were getting the pup payment to be stopped. Talk about being in this together. It would be better if these people offered better terms and conditions, a living wage to their employees. This would get them the staff that they say they're not able to get. Uh, And Eugene says uh, that he'd apply for a job in hospitality if there was a living wage uh, being offered in that industry. Thank you indeed, Eugene, in Drogheda, for your email to the programme. Uh, A number of people in touch with us uh, who were out over the weekend and weren't happy. Uh, One of them uh, saying, Michael, I was in a pub and I was the only one wearing a mask. None of the staff or the customers were wearing masks. Uh, That's in uh, one of uh, the local pubs. Uh, Kevin and Nobber says COVID passports are as useful as chocolate fire guards. Thanks uh, uh, for that uh, colourful uh, message, uh, Kevin. Why is that? Why, why do you think they're no use? Is it uh, that people are using fake passes or, or what is it? Um, thanks, though, for your message. I did like the chocolate fire guard thing. I hadn't heard that before. Uh, Pat says in three restaurants, local restaurants on Friday, had to leave two of them. They were far too overcrowded. They weren't checking anything. No certs, uh, no ID, nothing. Won't pay staff to sit at the door checking people on the way in. Way too many people being allowed into shops at the same time and nobody seems to be checking anything, says Pat in his message to us as well. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, Somebody else uh, says it's not just the pandemic. If you go into a pub, our national drink is five euro. Five euro for a lilt. 
I didn't know it was five euro for a hilt with the totally tropical taste. What is, is that the national drink? <laughs> I think it's probably the black stuff that he's talking about. Uh, I'm not sure it's our national drink, but uh, thanks. Uh, six fifty uh, for a lager, five euro for a get is six fifty for a lager, uh, and the staff aren't vaccinated. I've no sympathy, so. Uh, I know simply whatsoever they've had it too good for too long. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, somebody else saying, what about the GAA? Uh, thanks uh, too. Uh, is, uh, I'm not sure why you're asking that. Is that people attending games or, or what is your concern there? Uh, Jim Navin says, my uh, he says, our daughter lives and works with special needs in Dublin and she had to drive to Bell Turbot in Cavan on Saturday. Uh, for a COVID test, uh, took five minutes for the test. Uh, that's a four-hour round trip. Uh, he says it's disgraceful, and he questions uh, the people who are running the country. Thanks, Jim Navin. Claire and Mead says, "Good morning, Michael. Uh, why do the government tell us uh, that they're giving the airports ninety million? Should the money not be going into ICU beds instead of airports? Our government are a disgrace." Thanks, Claire uh, and Mead. God, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Do we want to have uh, as many ICU beds as, uh, and then, you know, because we have them, allow people to get sick? Uh, surely uh, we should be saying, call, say, that's far more than we should be using as it is. Uh, and uh, rather than thinking we should facilitate people getting sick uh, to try and prevent them from getting sick, if you understand what I mean. But thanks uh, for the message, Claire, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us so far today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, there's a, a lot of uh, concern uh, about uh, the capacity uh, that women's refuges across uh, the country have and how victims of uh, domestic abuse are being turned away on Friday. Meath Women's Refuge and Support Services published its annual report and it managed to support some 477 women in the course of the last year. Interesting as well that 60% of the women it did support are aged over 30 and many of them had children. So we're talking about uh, huge amount of people when you consider the children as well who are in need of support as a result of domestic violence. Most shockingly though, uh, Meath Women's Refuge and Support Services say they were forced to turn away 120 women who needed emergency accommodation from domestic violence and uh, they are now calling for a national prevention strategy. Uh, Let's uh, speak uh, to a couple of people about this. Uh, First of all, Imelda Fallon. Good morning to Imelda and thanks uh, for joining us. Imelda is key support worker with Mead Women's Refuge and Support Services Uh, and you also held uh, a a webinar on Friday, Imelda, which uh, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, uh, attended. Uh, Tell us what the Minister had to say to you in particular about uh, the amount of women and you had to turn away because you couldn't facilitate them when they came to you looking for help last year. Yeah, well, she she was very taken back, to be honest, about the amount of women and children. And just to go more into that, it was actually 100 children also that we had to turn away, Michael. My God. So, yeah, I know. And she has promised that she will do everything she possibly can to help so that's going forward. 221 people in an emergency situation who needed yes. support and it wasn't possible. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, it's, it's a huge amount, you know. And I mean, Ireland, I suppose, overall only has 144 refuge spaces. 
And the Council of Europe says that we need one family refuge space for every 10,000 people. That means we need 450 places. So we only have a third of what we need in Ireland here today. Okay. Uh, Um, I'm sure there's a lot of concern uh, in all circumstances, but especially uh, when you haven't got the wherewithal to facilitate people. What happens then? Where do they go when they come to you and you can't help them find uh, emergency accommodation? um, The only thing, well, I mean, what we can offer then is like an outreach um, support, which means our outreach team, like uh, they will prepare the woman for going to court to look for protection safety order or whether it's an interim barring or barring order. So they prepare the lady for going into court. They'll do the court paperwork. But many of them would have returned home then, would they? Yes, they would, yeah, if they've nowhere else to go. God. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't bear thinking about... Uh, because no, it, it doesn't because, I mean, really they're going back, they're going back into the same situation. Yeah. In the hope that the protection um, order will protect them within their homes. And the thing most often said by abusers is, uh, I'll never do it again. Uh, invariably, they do, and invariably, the abuse worsens. Oh, absolutely. As time, you know, it kind of starts off very subtly. Um, and then as time goes on, then it gets, you know, the coherence control, then it's the emotional, verbal, physical, can be sexual, and violence then all, all begins then, you know. Okay. And it's very, it's very, very difficult for a woman to get out of that situation. Well, let's hear uh, first-hand experience uh, from Avril. Avril Darcy, good morning to you and uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, you were emotionally and psychologically abused by your partner over a, a three-year period, I believe. Yes, yes, I was. Um, it was mostly coercive control, a, word, a phrase we're hearing more and more, which is, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he did become physically aggressive in the end, but there's a, a reason that I wanted to speak out over the last few years is because I wasn't seeing any stories like my own in the media mm. um, where it was, you know, the, the emotional and psychological abuse. Well, you've taken um, your experience uh, uh, and are trying to use it now uh, to help other people. You're an advocate and a campaigner on domestic uh, violence uh, and you understand uh, what that type of psychological control means, coercive control, as you said. It can be quite subtle, can't it? And very hard to put your finger on it when you're trying to explain it to somebody else. Yes, absolutely. As Imelda was saying there as well, it starts out with very small things. It can almost even be start with sort of jokes at your expense. Um, and then it can lead into to absolute control. Um, and those jokes putting you down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but not I mean, necessarily, it but <clears throat> your confidence. Mm, hugely. Yeah. It becomes a huge part of of how you modify your behaviour. Mm. Um, you know, you end up kind of getting in getting in trouble constantly for not doing the right thing. Or it's an odd thing for an adult to be saying getting in trouble with their partner. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and it is that kind of it is that kind. Of, sorry for talking over you. It, it is that kind of thing uh, of getting in trouble the way a child would uh, yeah. say it. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. It can be. I felt so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a very confusing time because you're you're also you're you know you're being an adult in every other part of your life and you're at work and you're you're trying to maintain other relationships in your life, but this 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 malevolent presence in the background all of the time. 
you don't feel equal, uh, you feel inferior in the relationship, you feel infer- inferior as a human being, I take it. That's that's how you're made to feel, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's that's how they, in a way, that's how one of the reasons why you stay, because mm. they're telling you for a very long time that you're not good enough for anything else. Yeah. Um, or that you deserve it. It's it's a very confusing, mm. very um, upsetting time. Um, mm. I'm losing my words now. That's but, all right. Um, don't don't worry. It's, it's, it's just difficult. It's difficult to navigate. And I think without the services that we have, um, a lot more people would be a lot more lost. Yeah. I think one of the things that I found after I had left is that there were a lot of services that I didn't know that I could use. Mm-hmm. Because it was, <clears throat> excuse me, emotional and psychological, I felt <clears throat> I felt that other people, you know, were more of a priority than I was. Mm. So it took me took some time to to seek out those services, and I really wish I had sought them out earlier. I mean, it, even with the refuge, the fact that they have a hotline, they have yeah. outreach programs that a lot of people wouldn't realise. People would think automatically. That you know, it's it's a safe space to go in, in a violent situation. But there's so many services that they offer that they can help people with. Uh, I read uh, some of uh, the comments that you gave uh, to the webinar on Friday, and it, it reminded me of the drugs problem in, in a way. And I'll explain that to you if I can, Avril, because uh, quite often we talk a, a about drugs and uh, getting addiction services, or policing and locking people up and putting them in, in jail. But I think if you're going to tackle the drugs problem, uh, you do it way before you get to that stage. Uh, and nobody wants their children looking for addiction services or to be in prison or anybody else's children for that matter. Uh, and it's to put them on the right path. And how do you get uh, into people's minds and to yeah. do that at a, a, an early age and put them on the right path? And you were saying something uh, along those lines about boys in school uh, and teaching them what is a healthy relationship and what is not a healthy relationship before they become men uh, and uh, are, are uh, abusing women uh, in, in later life. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're we're starting to have some good um, conversations around consent in schools. And I think it's really um, time to start having these conversations about healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships. Um, and, you know, to not only recognising the red flags, but to re- recognise the red flags within yourself. That if you're, you're you know, mm. having maybe these anger issues or something that you can talk to, like the boys, they can try and... and seek some help for that at an earlier stage before it turns into to something more sinister, absolutely. And red flags about your bank account being controlled, being told what to wear, what not to wear, who to see, who not to see. Uh, these these are, are, are common uh, ways that men try to control women. Absolutely. But there's even um, um, more nuanced things like constant communication, constant texting, checking in, making sure you're checking in. And in a lot of ways, there's um, sometimes I've described it before as love bombing, where there's an over-saturation of attention, especially at the beginning of the relationship. And it's quite difficult. It's, it can be quite enamoring at the start, but it becomes quite suffocating. And that's sort of the first one of the first signs I would have seen as the possessiveness or, you know, that's the, the controlling nature of not wanting you, wanting all of your attention all of the time. Completely obsessive. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm. Uh, that might sound odd to people. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. But it's about, I mean, a lot of it was about making sure that all of my time was taken up with them. 
And mm. that's one of the ways that people start to isolate you from your friends and family. Right. So keep a little bit of yourself you know, for yourself. Make sure, that yeah. absolutely. You need mm. that time to yourself because yeah. if all of your time is taken up by one person, you're in a world mm. where you're, you can't see the outside world anymore. Don't let somebody stop you from seeing your friends or seeing your mother or your yeah. brothers and sisters or whoever else it is that you'd like to have in your life. Let people, uh, make sure that you have the people you want exactly. to have in your life. It's, 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 that's, uh, it's not healthy to, to not have, you know, a group of people. Okay. Uh, let's uh, go back uh, to uh, Imelda. Uh, Avril uh, tells a very interesting story. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily about black guys, uh, but it can be, Imelda. Oh, it, it can be, yes. But like sometimes, I mean, as Avril says, you know, these it's not visible and it's very, very hard for, you know, to kind of get into court, say, and how, you know, you do need evidence. But well, that's very difficult when you're when a, a woman is going into court and saying, "I'm I'm being emotionally abused." I'm you know, um, when the court does look for a lot of evidence and you know, but we do we always say to women, you know, keep a record of everything, write everything down, hmm. keep your notebook, keep your your date, what what you know, name calling, all that type of stuff about the finances, because you know, obviously the finances are controlled as well, you know, hmm. um. Yeah, so, and, like, I just want to applaud um, Avril for telling her story also. Avril, thank you. It's a very brave yeah. thing of you to do and to get your story out there. Um, so, big thank you to Avril. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I think that uh, maybe some women listening to us uh, this morning might also want to thank Avril, if not today, maybe in time, uh, because it's that first-hand account that is very important for people to hear and to know that you're not the only one. Absolutely, and um, Michael, just I just want to express to any woman that's listened to this yeah. um, conversation today, please pick up the phone. Don't suffer in silence. We provide a 24-hour um, service. Our contact number is 046-90-22393. And just going back to the annual report, Michael, mm. uh, we provided um, crisis accommodation for 42 women and 58 children um, in 2019. But we do need more funding invested in prevention work. Like that, you know, going, like, educating people, going out into the schools, educating, you know, the teenagers on what is, because we we do know there is, you know, that kind of age group, the teenage group, it is starting from as young as that. Yeah. And we want to get into the schools and educate all the children on what it is. Yeah, with YouTube and TikTok and whatever, it may even be starting before then. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, as I was saying, uh, you don't want people ending up at your door uh, in an emergency situation looking for help, uh, whether you can help them or, or, or not. Uh, there were problems undoubtedly last year. You're uh, hoping uh, to be able to provide a refuge in a, a new centre over the next couple of years as well. I yeah. Think. yeah. We are, we're hoping now, um, we have a new purpose built that's going to be hopefully in another two years' time. So we will have eight units. So we'll be able to provide um, accommodation for eight families. Okay. And yeah. the 24-hour line 046 90 
22393 Michael Reed on LMFM. See her elected, or the acronym for uh, this campaign. She is a feminist community-led rural initiative to support women into politics, established in 2019 to tackle the lack of women and female representation in politics, particularly in the Midlands and North West, where anything from 78 to 95% of uh, the elected local authority councils are made up of of men and indeed across the whole country because the She campaign hopes to see between 40 and 50% of council seats go to women in future. Let's uh, speak uh, to Dr Michelle Marr who's programme director with She. Good morning to you Michelle and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. You're funded by the Department of Housing and congratulations uh, to you by the way. Uh, You've been selected as a finalist out of 400 projects in the Innovation in Politics Award from across Europe, chosen by a jury of 1,032 European citizens uh, and uh, awarded uh, the best programme for innovation in politics in Brussels last week. As I say, congratulations to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. You're obviously a a very busy group and... uh, those statistics uh, from the Midlands and Northwest are, are shocking. Uh, is change anon? It absolutely is, Michael. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, the yeah, we the award we got in Brussels, I think, is uh, uh, you know recognises that what See Her Elected is doing is a model that works, and the model that we have is we're listening to women and we're shaping what we do in response to what they tell us that they need. And that's really helping us connect with women out in rural Ireland. So we have a number of different ways that people can get involved with See Her Elected. And I suppose we were set up in response to those low numbers of women in the county council. I mean, we in the northwest and the Midlands would look um, with envy at Meath and Louth, where you have, you know, a third or just over a third of your county councillors are women. But next door to you there in Cavan, there's only four women out of 18 on Cavan County Council. And in Monaghan, there's only three women. Mm. And I think the most startling statistic, the one you read out there, was in Offaly, when the 19 county councillors get together in County Offaly, there's just one woman. So we kind of thought to ourselves, right, there's you know something that's working perhaps in the more urban areas and the counties around it. But get into your car and head off down the M4 and into Midlands and up into the northwest. It's yeah. a, a very, very different story. So we set out to try and do something about that. Yeah. What have you learned along the way? Um, can you tell us why that is the case? Why is it uh, that women aren't running, or if they are running, that uh, the electorate are uh, putting men into these seats? Yeah. Well, a lot of the time, voters don't even get a choice. Uh, you know, that there's they may be faced with a ballot paper without a woman on it. So... Um, but there is, I suppose, an understanding that, I mean, I was listening, I was gripped actually by your previous 
um, uh, talk or mm. guest there, um, Imelda and Avril, yeah. and what amazing women they are. And you'd have to think if there were more women in county councils, you know, would 120 women be turned away because there was nowhere for them to go? It's And listening to Avril there, it's the experience. Women have very different lives. They live their lives differently and their experiences are different. Uh, and so are disabled people and traveller people and people from ethnic backgrounds. And the decisions coming out of our county councils, wouldn't they be a whole lot better, more rounded, better informed if all of those experiences were feeding into the decisions that our county councils were making? Mm. So that's what we're trying to do. So what women themselves will say, the first thing is usually, Ara, I don't know anything about politics. So that's what we set out, I suppose, over 2020 to try and tackle. You know, so we're demystifying local government. You know, we're we're going through in a very relaxed way. We have our online, we call it She School, see our elected school, She School. We run an introduction to politics. And in that, you know, it's just for women who are kind of curious about, well, what exactly does my county council do? Who works in there? You know, the people who work in there, what do they do? And the people we vote to put in there, what do they do? And how is it divided between them? And who has the power to do what? And they're learning as well about the public participation networks um, and how there are seats on county council committees reserved for people from community and voluntary groups. So that's news to an awful lot of women who come in to to see her elected. And some of them see that. Um, I suppose what we're not, despite our name, we're just as interested in those women getting onto the public participation network and getting onto council committees. Mm. We're really interested in women who'd say, I, I would never be a candidate, but by God, I put my shoulders to the wheel to get a woman elected in my local electoral area. Is there a so, chicken and egg situation, though, in the sense of what comes first? I mean, uh, do you want to be elected uh, to the county council if you're only the only woman out of 19? Uh, or uh, do you want to be elected to the county council so that there are more women? Uh, I mean, there's uh, something off-putting about the idea of one woman sitting down with 18 men. Uh, there is, and I think it's an anomaly and one that we're we're hoping to change. So what we're doing is we um, we actually wrote uh, we Ireland's first ever guidebook to running in the local elections. It's free to download from our website, which is seeherelected.ie and all our contact details by the way are on that as well and if anyone wants a copy in the post just email me and I'll send it out to them. So what we're doing is we are now kind of you know a couple of years out from the local elections is we're taking groups of women uh, and working through the guidebook with them uh, so that they already have confidence that they know what their council does. We're beginning to work with them on what their profile might look like uh, what their election campaign might be like, and all the stuff that if you want to be part of a campaign team uh, that you need to be thinking about and doing. So we're starting getting the ball rolling now because that's another big finding uh, when you start to look about why there are so few women. It's this thing that women wait to be asked mm. and then they are often asked at the last minute so it's all a bit rushed and they never really get a chance to be at the races at all. Right, so, so even though we have gender quotas, are you concerned that on occasion at least they're token candidates? We would be concerned um, and we don't have gender quotas for the local elections. They're just in place for our general elections. So there's no onus on a political party to run a woman at all uh, in the local elections. 
but it kind of makes sense that they do because so many of our county councillors start their or they cut their political teeth in our county councils and then move up on into Padal. So, um, uh, yes, yeah, so we, uh, that's mm. um, that's something we would like to see. We would like to see quotas coming in um, for uh, local elections. But I think the political parties, I mean, it's going to be very hard. We're, we are, through See Her Elected, we are going to have a large group of women with, with a guidebook in their hands, first of all, that'll list out all of the things they need to be thinking mm. about. They'll have that all done. So we think it'll be very hard for the political parties to look past these women as really viable, well-informed candidates uh, in 2024. Are there enough women interested in running for local elections? If you were to introduce uh, gender quotas in line with uh, the general elections, uh, would you be able to get uh, 30% of candidates who are female for each of uh, the political parties? Well, we um, opened up, um, put out a call for people who wanted to come along to workshops. And those workshops started last month and they were specifically for people who were interested in being candidates or who part of a campaign team. So it was kind of like the group that were ready to kind of roll up their... They'd moved on from just curious about politics and wanting to understand politics. They actually wanted to go for it. And we had 80, and we had to cap it at 80 to be able to to manage uh, it. So Mm. the, the appetite is there when they know they're going to be supported, that there isn't just kind of ad hoc training here and there, that this is a programme with a, a book that goes with it that'll take them right the way through to the 2024 local elections. And it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful to be, you know, in a Zoom room uh, with women from, you know, uh, f- from all over, you know, from, from very rural areas, you know, anywhere from Ballaturine to Castle Pollard to Edgeworthstown, Ramelton, all t- beginning to start to think, if I ran, I think this is what I might say, and, and beginning to try to hone their message and beginning to try and think about who they might need around them. Mm. Um, uh, and one of the, the key people that we say that women need is somebody with a, a good political nose, you know, that, that person who can kind of smell the air politically and mm. and knows a lot of the informal stuff, you know. So because yeah. women might be approached by a party, they'll agree to go on the ticket and the actual rest of the party members may be unaware of that or it's kind of landed on them. There's there's practices that happen which mitigate against women. So this is why we're starting this early, you know, a couple of years out from the local elections to to try and change that. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's a, a female perspective uh, that would be brought to it, uh, which would seem very democratic. And it doesn't seem very democratic, uh, given that half of uh, the population are women or thereabouts. And it's not just women's issues. Uh, I mean, it's not just women saying, well, uh, I want something done uh, to make more space available in a refuge if women find themselves in no, an emergency it's situation. It's to do with everything, whether it's burst pipes yeah. or the flow of traffic, yeah. uh, because women will look on it and understand what it is uh, to live yeah. in the world as a woman. Men may do their very best to try and identify with that, but that's all they can do is try. Yeah, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, this isn't about men being better than women or women being better than men. It's about the decision making being poor if you don't have people who look at things differently all feeding into it. So, yeah, and we would be really encouraging women in she school to, to have an, to understand and have an opinion on areas that might be more traditionally thought of as male, be it economics, 
be it transportation. You know, this isn't about having more women in there to talk about childcare and playgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, although a woman's perspective in there will elevate and attach more importance to those issues that affect the day-to-day lives of women living in counties. Very good. Well, I know that we've uh, a lot of women who are uh, public representatives locally and so they're doing Trojan work uh, and uh, hopefully hopefully there'll be lots more of them in in, uh, the coming years. Thanks for speaking to us, uh, Michelle, and uh, best of luck uh, with uh, your campaign. You're very welcome. And if there's anyone listening to this that's thinking, I wouldn't mind knowing a little bit more about my county council or hmm, there's there's somewhat, something you can join that would help you be part of a campaign team or even maybe think about being a candidate, look us up, seeherelected.ie. Sorry, I'll say that again. <laughs> seeherelected.ie. We'd yeah. only be delighted to hear from you. And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about the project uh, to, to the women and men listening here today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pleasure to talk to you. That's uh, Dr. Michelle Marr, who's uh, the programme uh, director for She. That's See Her Elected. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, there's many hard stories. Uh, as a result of COVID and things related to COVID. Uh, a listener in County Mead texting us earlier this morning saying, our son won't get vaccinated. He says more people are getting sick because of the vaccine and he's 35 years of age. Our, our, our listener says, We're, we just won't let him into the house. Very, very hard situation. Uh, dreadful, uh, some of the misinformation uh, that as being peddled uh, and how people are suffering as a result. But thank you for sharing that with us. Um, another text uh, comes to us uh, from Andrew in Wilkinstown. He says, why don't people who are going into shops and restaurants and pubs take photographs or videos of them checking COVID certs or not checking them and then show them to the Gardaí? Uh, thanks uh, for that, Andrew. I think you'd be a long time at it. Uh, somebody else says... Uh, People of all ages are getting COVID. Uh, in our family, the parents are vaccinated and uh, everybody has it. Uh, the children from one year, year up all have it. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, Mary was on the phone. Mary is in Drada, And thank you very much uh, for calling us, Mary. I think you probably texted us uh, as well. Uh, and you were listening uh, to the conversation about uh, domestic abuse. Mary says... I was in a very bad relationship. It was mental and emotional abuse, but because family members didn't witness uh, the torture that I was being subjected to, they couldn't understand how bad I felt or how bad the situation was. I know it's a a terrible thing to say, but I often wished that he'd kick me black and blue so people could have seen the bruises and believed what was happening. Mental torture is so tough. You don't have the physical scars but it affects you psychologically. He would belittle me all of the time, go out with other women and make me feel very small. I moved into another bedroom and he'd come home at night and be banging on the bedroom door and I'd be shaking in my bed. It was horrendous. I'm out of it now, about 12 years, but it was hard for family members to understand. I hope this might help someone else who is being mentally tortured and also 
that family and friends will be more accepting. Just because there are no bruises, it doesn't mean there is no abuse. As I say, thank you very much indeed, Mary. Uh, I take it uh, it wasn't easy for you to make that call, uh, but I, I imagine you're right that it will help others. So thank you very much indeed for making the call and sharing a bit of your story with us. It's very much appreciated. And as I said earlier on, Tavril, I'm sure it'll be appreciated by women listening to us today, if not today, maybe at some other time after hearing what you've said uh, when uh, they've decided to try and get out of that situation, if that's one that they're in at the moment. Now, going back to COVID and the situation that we're in at the moment, uh, let's hear a little bit about the plan. You know, this will be kept under review, obviously, uh, and decisions will be made then. I think one of the more critical issues will be in about uh, two and a half weeks' time now, we'd like to think that there will be far greater, more comprehensive information around Omicron in terms of how infectious is it, how virulent is it, um, and to what degree is there vaccine escape uh, in respect of, of, the, of, the, of this new variant. And those will be critical inputs um, parallel with the accelerating booster campaign. Uh, and so we'll, we will be in a much better position, I think, with the full knowledge, but we'll be, we'll be in a much better position to assess the threat of Omicron, which I think will have a significant bearing on it. Um, paradoxically, things could improve in the next week in terms of hospitals and ICUs. Uh, but it's that Omicron threat that we've got to be vigilant about um, in, in, in terms of the next number of weeks. All right. Two, three weeks. That's Christmas, isn't it? Oh dear, that's uh, the Taoiseach uh, Micheál Martin uh, more uh, there from uh, that uh, press conference uh, that the government gave on Friday evening. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.